Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's almost time for a golden anniversary. It's episode 273 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, not talking about ours here at the Down and Nerdy Podcast, but San Diego Comic-Con 2019, the 50th anniversary of San Diego Comic-Con is going to be next week, although maybe you're listening to this at Comic-Con already because I'm going to be on my way there. I might be on a plane by the time you hear this to San Diego. Can't wait to go out there once again to cover all the big stuff for you. But how about getting you ready for San Diego Comic-Con this week? I'm going to be talking to writer Carlos Giafani this week from Dark Horse Comics. He's got a new comic called Strayed coming out that he will actually be at Comic-Con talking about. We'll let you know everything that he's got going on. A lot about this book if you're a cat lover. This is definitely a book you're going to want to pay attention to. Plus, yeah, going to be talking about Stranger Things Season 3. My spoiler-filled review is coming up. And you know what's coming up first, though. Let's talk some comics. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Aaron Campbell, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Slide out that long box, fire up the tablet or the laptop, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading. And what we can see this week is The Invisible Woman, number one from Marvel, written by Mark Wade, Matea de Ilius on the art. I hope I said that right. VCs Joe Caramanga on the letters, and Adam Hughes doing that amazing cover that you saw. Now, the book starts about 10 years ago with Sue, and she's kind of on this secret mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. in Europe. Now, the mission's a dangerous one, but it really works out, obviously, because we're 10 years in the future now, and you know Sue Storm lives. So, you fast forward to the present, and Sue's kind of looking for a bit of a fresh start. It's the whole, you know, the kids are grown up, everybody's sort of busy doing their own thing, and she's kind of looking for something, you know, a little bit fresh, a little bit different. Well, what she didn't realize was that It could be something from her past that actually brings her that because someone that she knew from her secret agenting days has actually gotten into some trouble. Now, she's obviously not supposed to go after him, but you know how that kind of thing typically goes where, yeah, she's going to go anyway. Now, what she doesn't expect, though, is a little bit of company when she gets to her destination where she's going. And yes, this is someone that you will absolutely recognize and I won't spoil who that is for you but that's basically the gist of what's going on in this book I have to say though this might be some of the most insanely beautiful and detailed art I've ever seen and I mean it almost felt like a 3d rendering and it was jumping right off the page I mean it 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 felt I felt like I was actually they were standing right in front of me Not necessarily me reading this on the page. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous book. I mean, there's there's few artists that I and I won't name drop anybody because I don't want to miss I don't want to miss anybody either. But there are few artists that can really pull something like this kind of detail off. But I got to tell you, what Matea is doing here is nothing short of amazing. Now the story was really engaging too, and it just shows how well rounded Sue is and how she can really stand on her own and how she balances her life and how strong of a character that she really is. And and it just goes to show you why when Marvel wasn't really focusing on the Fantastic Four, this is the kind of thing that they were missing. And I think Mark Wade actually does a really good job of bringing out just how amazing a character Sue Storm can be and not just the Invisible Woman, but all of these other things as well. And we do get to see how her skill set works, which, I mean, you kind of already know that from reading Fantastic Four comics, but what she's able to do... And then it's not that there's not dangers, though. There are some actual dangers that you have to consider. Plus, there's a whole other thing about this mission that I don't want to spoil that could add another layer to this entire story. So there's a lot of intrigue here. I really like the direction that they took with this. This is a pull for me. Gotta have more of the Invisible Woman story because it's really turned out to start off well. Now it's time to get a little bit ghosted in L.A., a new series from Boombox and Boom Studios. First issue written, of course, created, too, by the way, by Cinegrace, 
Also helping out on the illustrations here as well was Siobhan Keenan. Also Kathy Lee on the colors and DC Hopkins on the letters. Now the story follows a woman named Daphne Walters and her best friend Christy, who we see with her with at the beginning. Now Daphne's basically going to L.A. to school. She's from Montana. She's going to L.A., so she's leaving her friends, family behind. Christy's actually really mad. She's following her boyfriend, though. You know, best friends tend to get mad, you know, when you leave and go to school far away. And, and, you know, things are not exactly going great for Daphne when she gets to L.A., though. Her new roommate seems like kind of a bitch, and things aren't really going the way she's planned them to go. And that's the That can be life, right? That kind of stuff just happens. But after some really bad news, and I mean bad news, she goes for a walk and she ends up at a place called Rycroft Manor. Now, she gets quite a bit of a surprise in the process when she gets there. You've seen the cover of the book. You probably already know what I'm talking about. Minor spoiler here if you don't. We're talking about ghosts here. Each one has their own personality. They're all different ages. And they're actually making a deal with Daphne. That really could make things very, very interesting going forward. There's actually a lot of charm in this book. And there's things about this book and this fish-out-of-water story with a Montana girl like Daphne. It just makes her very, very likable. She has a very infectious personality that I think that you'll really, really dig. You really feel for her, too, in this book, especially at certain times. And if you've ever felt like you don't belong somewhere... Or you have, or you've ever had trouble making friends? You're going to identify with Daphne so much. I mean, I know we're talking about a young college girl here, but I mean, I can think back to times when I was that age and I had really a lot of trouble making friends, especially new friends. So, you know, I, I can relate to some of the things that she goes through in this book. Now, also here, I love that this book really talks about finding your own identity and how that might not exactly go how you think it's going to go. You have this plan in your head of how you think things are going to go, especially when you're starting a new chapter in your life like this. And it might not always work out the way you think it's going to, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work out. And that's what we're going to find out in these next several issues. There's really a distinct difference in the art, too, when it comes to the ghosts and the living. It's really hard to explain. It's more than just the colors. It's not just a grayscale versus color type of situation, although it's certainly higher grade than grayscales as far as I can tell. But there's just, there's a different cleanness to the ghosts is the best way that I can describe it. When you read the book, let me see if you come up with the same conclusion I do. But the art is really, really, really neat. I, I love the the almost comic strip feel of the whole thing. It just really jumped out to me. It made it just, it made it even more likable for me, actually. Now, this is a very interesting twist, I think, on a phase of life story that I'm really interested to see more of. So go ahead and throw this in my poll box as well. Ghost in L.A., number one from Boom Studios and Boombox, and The Invisible Woman from Marvel Comics, number one issue as well. Throw that in there as well. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, it's time for my spoiler-filled review of Stranger Things Season 3. Let's start it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It doesn't need to be summertime in Hawkins for there to be fireworks. Yep, here comes my spoiler-filled review of Season 3 of Stranger Things from Netflix. And no, I'm not going to go through the whole story or anything like that. Let me just talk about what I liked, maybe what I didn't like, and some things that really stood out to me. I will say right off the bat, though, that this season, I enjoyed this season just as much, maybe even a little bit more than I enjoyed season one. And I'm not, I wasn't a huge critic of season two, but certainly it had its issues. There were a lot of things to really like about it. But season three just, it felt different. It reminded me why I loved this show so much. And it took a little bit of a different turn. And here's one of the things I didn't expect is that there was a lot more humor in this season. And I don't know if that's because the kids have kind of grown up a little bit or what the deal was, but it wasn't forced either. Like crazy hopper that wasn't forced because of, you know, he's being, he's a dad and he's trying to figure out how to talk to L and Mike about them making out all the time. And there was a lot of humor in that and his arguing with, with Joyce, that was kind of funny too. And then the, the, the kids, I call them kids because they're still kids. I'm sorry. I know they've grown up, but they're still kids. So, and, and 
seeing all the things that they're going through and, and with and with Dustin and maybe he has a girlfriend and maybe he doesn't. There's just a lot of fun elements in this season. And I didn't expect to have so much fun with Stranger Things because, I mean, there's it's still horror and there's still some serious stuff going on, especially with Billy. But I, I And I'll get to the serious stuff in a second, but I want to keep on the fun for a minute because I got to tell you, I didn't expect a friendship between Max and Elle to be one of my favorite things of this entire season. It was like, this is part of Elle's learning process, right? Whereas we got to see her learn a little bit more and become a little bit more human, for lack of a better term, in season two. But this, I mean, she's not talking it like a robot kind of anymore. She's actually talking like a teenage girl, right? A young teenage girl, And we get to see her do things like go to the mall and do stuff that she wasn't really allowed to do before because she was sheltered. And yeah, her and Mike are legit boyfriend and girlfriend in this in this season. And there's a lot of making out and stuff going on. So and she gets to deal with what it's like to actually have a boyfriend. And yeah, boys can be kind of stupid at that age. I'm willing to admit that maybe I wasn't that stupid. Maybe I was. I don't know. Maybe it's not for me to say. But certainly there are examples of that, you know, kind of behavior going on in a typical teenage boy. But there's also some typical teenage girl stuff that, you know, I'm not a teenage girl, so I can't really speak from experience here. But, you know, you get to see a a lot of the dynamic of what it was like when you were younger. And you got to see that through the eyes of the 80s a little bit. And we also got a little bit of small town America maybe disappearing, but I really want to stick to the fun here again, because Steve Harrington and Dustin is still one of my favorite relationships on the show. But then you had what I was hoping wouldn't be a third wheel and Robin that worked at Scoops Ahoy with Steve. But then they formed this team, right, to crack this Russian code that was going on. And I'll talk about the Russians here in a second. They formed this team and the bond that they had together and the dynamic that they had together. I got to tell you, I enjoyed the ever loving hell out of the three of them together. And and other than feeling bad for Steve, because I really did, man, can this guy find a woman that actually wants to be with him? And it's not that Robin didn't want to be with him. She just likes women. That's all. It's just a little bit different. So and, and I thought that they handled that really well on bringing really the first LGBTQ character into the Stranger Things world. And it and it made sense. And you had to make it, you really had to make it with the times too, right? Like think about how difficult that would have been back then in the 80s. It's not, it's not easy now. Imagine how difficult it was in the mid 80s. And maybe that was something that you went through personally so you kind of know what it was like I actually thought that they you know handled that pretty well and presented that pretty well we didn't get to see a whole lot about that maybe that's something we're going to see a little bit more in season four with Robin we'll just have to wait and see and then you add Erica into the mix too by the way who's Lucas's sister and that was some of the most hilarious moments of the entire show like when she calls their little project project child endangerment I laughed every time And I did not expect to laugh as much as I did throughout this entire third season of Stranger Things. It was just, it was one of the biggest pleasant surprises for me. But let's talk about some of the serious stuff. And you had to wonder, okay, so Elle closes the gate. We're all good now, right? Everything's done. What could possibly bring this back, bring the mind flare back, bring all this stuff from the upside down back? It was the Soviet Union. The Russians, the 80s, this makes perfect sense. And I'm like, how is it that this was so perfect? Why didn't I think about this? Why didn't I realize that this was the direction that they might go? In the 80s, it only makes sense to introduce the Soviet Union as an adversary. The only thing I will say is we don't get a legit reason why they're doing this necessarily. We don't get a huge explanation as to what their plans are once they unleash this. I mean, there's a little bit of chatter, but there's not really a plan, right? You assume you know what the plan is, but then how are they going to control it and all this other? We don't really get deep into that. But the fact that they are the ones 
that are trying to open up the gate. And the Mind Flayer apparently never really left, it seems like. It seems like there was a little bit that escaped or, or stayed there once it came out of Will. Then that was one of the things that kind of stuck around. And that's how this whole mess really, you know, brought itself to bear. And, and and what happened with Billy and when Billy crashes his car and gets dragged down there and he's sort of patient zero. And then what you see is the Mind Flayer taking this to the next level of, well, why infect one person when I can infect several people, have myself an army and do that? So it wasn't just it wasn't just going after a host like Will this time. It was going after hosts plural. And I think that that was a it's almost like a learning experience, right, for the Mind Flayer. So you get to see a little bit of an intelligent life there in this creature, for the lack of a better term. So I thought that that was a really cool way to go. And the way we had that battle with L and how this was a true battle of, of wits and minds. And it was, it was so sci-fi that I loved it so much. There was so much projection, so much imagery. There was even a Martha moment for anybody who's, you know, of course seen Batman versus Superman, the Martha moment that was talked about throughout the Twitter verse. You kind of get one of those moments in this show where Elle sort of saves herself by telling Billy what she saw in his vision from his childhood, and that sort of makes him stop and then turns, and of course he gets killed by the Mind Flayer, but you know, let's let's not talk about that. But that's how she gets him to stop, and they worked that in brilliantly, I thought. It wasn't one of those things where you throw it in there and you go, ah, really, that's what we're doing? No, it actually made sense, and that's a, that was one of the things that, was a theme throughout this season. There were so many things that they did this time around, this season that actually made sense. And everything flowed together. Even though there were separate parts of this, right? You had, you also had, you know, Joyce and Hop doing their thing, trying to figure out what was going on with the magnets. And, you know, maybe they're going to date, maybe they're not going to date. And then you got Nancy and you've also got Jonathan who are trying to figure out what's going on with these rats, and you see them trying to work up in their career. And then you've got the kids who are kind of, you know, we've got, you know, Mike and Lucas who are kind of girl crazy. They're trying to figure out how to keep their ladies happy. And then you've got Dustin and the Scoops Ahoy crew there trying to figure out what's going on with the Russians. And then you have Will. And I wanted to, and this is something I brought up when I was talking about the trailer that I thought they might do. You have Will that, just wants to friggin' play D&D with his friends. And he's the one that's sort of left out in the cold and all this, in that we take for granted in watching the this show, right, that Will was the only one that didn't really get to have a large portion of his childhood, right? I mean, we got to see him have a little bit in season two where he went trick-or-treating with his friends, but everything got went straight to hell again pretty quickly for him. And, of course, in season one, it was all hell, right? So while these boys, while they went through their certain... They, they went through their amount of trauma, too. Will had at times 10, and he never really got to have a normal ch- chunk of his childhood. And then you've got, you know, the, his mother's boyfriend gets murdered, you know, a guy that he really started to respect and really started to like, gets murdered in season two, and it's so much heavy stuff has happened to Will. Everybody else has seemed to want to grow up and move on, and Will is still kind of seeking that, you know, I just wanted to play D&D with my friends all the time, and I don't understand why they don't want to do that sort of thing. And then when he destroys Castle Byers, right, that wrecked me. I was, it was such an emotional moment, in the show, like, sure, I was really upset with what was going on with Elle when she was get, getting tortured. And, you know, big spoiler, like when Hop dies, I was, yeah, I was seriously upset about that. But when Castle Byers went down, I mean, just watching this broken kid who just wants to have his close friends by his side and they're just all seem to be off doing different stuff on their own. It, that just wrecked me. For some reason. So I thought that that was beautifully well done. And they just, everything was melded together so, so well. And then when all the stories converged into one, it's like, okay, there's the mind flare. How do we stop it? How do we stop this entire thing? And everything came full circle 
all within the realm of eight episodes too, by the way, not 10, not 13, eight. And it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel like there was anything that they left undone really that really made sense. I feel like this was a perfect set of eight episodes especially for Stranger Things. They made the most of what they had. They gave us several different storylines to focus on, so when you cut off to one, you weren't going, oh, let's go back to that. Maybe you liked certain stories more than others, but I think that they all had their own purpose, and they all had their own likability that you weren't upset when you cut from one to the other. And I'm not going to go jump really deep into details of all of these stories and which ones I like best and all that stuff because it doesn't matter It's subjective for one. And for two, I think that they were all done really, really well. And when they converged, it just was just felt so natural. It was like, oh, so this was the plan all along. And maybe you saw a little bit of it coming. And I think that that's fine because obviously you knew that they were going to converge at some point. And then when you get to see Dustin finally has. Yes, he does have a girlfriend and she ends up saving the day somehow. That was a nice little swerve, right? And then let's talk about the end, too, by the way, where the Byers family, they're moving. They're leaving Hawkins. And how the hell could you even blame them after everything that's happened to Joyce, to Will? I mean, there's no reason to stay, right? And it looks like they've taken Elle in now as well because she can't stay with Hop. Hop is gone. So she has to go with them. So now she's away from Mike. And every and it's the dynamic is now fractured. So that gives you something to look forward to coming up in a season four. But then we also see in the end credit scenes, the damn Demogorgon is still there. And it looks like the Russians have themselves one. And so they're not done with either. And I mean, it's the eighties, the Soviet union, it's not done. So this is something that I think was a brilliant thing for them to introduce. And I see that they're going to be continuing that in season four There's no confirmed season four, by the way. I'm just assuming that there's going to be a season four. And if they've really gotten 40 million viewers over the course of four days, like Netflix is saying that they did, why wouldn't you do one more season? I think this this is a great time to try and wrap it up. Do one more season, tie everything up in a nice, neat little bow, and I think you're good to go. But I got to tell you, season three, about as brilliant of a season of Stranger Things, I think, as you could expect. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Stranger Things Season 3 from Netflix. Up next, we have a name for the Warner streaming service. Talk about that and more nerd news coming up on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Giving you our maximum effort this week, it is time for nerd news, and we finally know what the Warner Media streaming service is is going to be called. This, according to a report from Variety this week, it looks like the name will be HBO Max. So I guess we see who's getting special treatment here. I mean, HBO is a name that everybody recognizes. I kid, but that, that's, that's definitely a cool name. Now, this will, according to the report, combine contents from HBO with all kinds of originals and programming from Warner Brothers, New Line, DC Entertainment, we'll get to that in a second, CNN, TNT, TBS, True TV, The CW, Turner Classic Movies, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Crunchyroll, Rooster Teeth, and Looney Tunes. Woo! That's a lot. If that's not enough, Greg Berlanti and Reese Witherspoon, who have have also signed on to create some original movies for the streaming service. Greg Berlanti is going to be taking on four movies in the young adult genre and Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine will produce two films for the service. Now, let's dive into this a little deeper. HBO Max is also going to be the exclusive streaming service for Friends, by the way, if you're interested in that, that will be leaving Netflix. Also, new Warner Brothers produced dramas for the CW starting in the fall of 2019. That means Batwoman and Katie Keene and some others. So now now that will be beginning 30 days prior to the TV premiere of the next season. So very similar to how things work on Netflix now. If you want to get the episodes right away, it looks like the CW app, if you're not watching them live, is the way to go there. But you're going to be watching them live anyway, so that's like a non-issue. But the interesting part to me is the DC Entertainment part 
of this argument. Now, we could be talking about shows like CW stuff and, you know, Watchmen on HBO. We don't know if HBO would be included into this or if it's going to be a bundle sort of deal. I guess we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. But I'm hearing from some, and I'll call them unnamed sources. I hate doing that, but I, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to rat anybody out here. So that DC Universe is not going anywhere, at least not in the short term anyway. DC Universe streaming service will still live on the way it is. Now, that doesn't mean that at some point that won't be another bundle thing for for this HBO Max service or it won't be absorbed at some point. But for now, DC Universe is remaining DC Universe. And there's already been a bunch of other stuff that's been announced for this HBO Max streaming service before we knew the name of it. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com and, you know, Google stuff. And there's been plenty of other announcements made as well. There's a lot of stuff coming here. So the big question is, is what would you be willing to pay for this? Because it's being floated around $16, $17 a month. And I know you're thinking, wow, that's really high. But it kind of depends on what you're getting, isn't it? I mean, if you're getting HBO and Cinemax for that $16, $17 a month, you're already paying, what, 10 for HBO, maybe nine, depending on where you're at. So there, there's ten bucks right there, and then you throw in absolutely everything else, and that's a pretty good amount of stuff for that money. Now, maybe you're comparing this to Disney Plus, which is planning on having a much lower price tag. I think it was like eight dollars a month, or somewhere along those lines. Then maybe you've got an argument there. Maybe it's like, okay, well, you know, why would I pay double for Warner's when I can get Disney's? For half that. And again, content is king. That is the reason that Netflix can keep raising their prices and maintain their subscribers because they have a ton of stuff on there now. That's not necessarily going to be true here pretty soon, thanks to Disney and now Warner Brothers. So this definitely will have an effect on Netflix. And is it going to get to the point? I think it will at some point. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to say, well, do I keep Netflix? Or do I do Warner Media and the Disney streaming service, Disney Plus? Or do you know you just make make a mixture of a couple? You're gonna end up owning multiple streaming services. I know there's been a lot of complaining about that. This is this is the future. I called this on this podcast years ago, like three years ago, and I said everybody's gonna have their own streaming service, and that's gonna be the choice. You're going to have to make. And as far as cord cutters are concerned, it might be just as much, if not more, than what you're for paying for cable anyway. Maybe it'll just all even itself out. Maybe this is the wave of the future and the way things need to be. I don't know. But all I know is, is that we've gotten very little announcements of what's going to be available for HBO Max and how things are going to be structured and things are going to work. If this is an all-in situation where you get everything under one subscription, it might just be worth a higher price tag. But until we know that, we're going to have to be in wait-and-see mode. Another thing that has a little bit of a difference, this time with a smaller price tag, and that is Nintendo announcing the Switch Lite console. I say console, but it is a completely, purely handheld device, kind of like the Nintendo DS. Now, it is going to be smaller and cheaper. It'll be about 200 bucks, 199.99. Going to be five and a half inch screen. It will not be dockable, by the way. It also cannot be connected to the TV, but The Verge actually says there is Wi-Fi and Bluetooth support. So we'll talk about that in a second. Now, the Joy-Cons also will not detach and there will be no rumble support. I'm not sure that's something I need. I don't know if you're super jazzed about having the rumble on there. Doesn't really bother me. And if you go to Nintendo's website, it says, as far as game compatibility, as long as it supports handheld, the game should be compatible. So there's a little symbol that you look for on the game to make sure it is handheld compatible. It's not really clear on Nintendo's website which games those are exactly. So make sure you be careful before you buy Switch Lite. If there's certain games you want to play, you might want to check that. It will, by the way, though, support the Switch Pro Controller and the Pokeball Plus. This will be coming out on September the 20th, and it will have a little bit longer of a battery life, about an, about an hour's more on the low and the high end, so stretching into the seven-hour mark on the high end. Now, I, I mean, there are certainly 
reasons to get this, especially if you're on the go a lot. And this is not necessarily traveling, traveling a lot, but if you're on the go a lot, if you're not on your home base a lot, you will be able to do multiplayer with this too, by the way. I don't know how this is going to interact with somebody who has a traditional Switch and you have the Switch Lite. I'm sure there's ways to do that. But here's my thing. I mean, if there's Bluetooth support, you're gonna have they're gonna find a way to hook this up to your TV. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt that somebody will find a hack for this and find a way to get it onto their TV screen, even if that's through Bluetooth or something like that. That's what I that's what I do with my laptop and my Roku. I just set the laptop up, it beams the screen right up there via Bluetooth, and we're good to go. I'm not saying that's gonna work for this. Don't quote me on that. It's not like this is automatically going to work. It might not, but I mean, the, somebody's going to find a way. But I mean, if you're if you're on the go a lot and there's certain games that you just like playing and you know you're going to be okay, you want to save yourself a hundred bucks. I mean, that's one game and a controller that you can buy for the price of the actual Nintendo Switch. So keep that in mind. Now, now again, the the, the regular Nintendo Switch is also portable. You can take it out. You can throw the Joy Cons on there, and you're good to go. So you get the extra added benefit of it being the standalone console and being on the go. But this one, if you just don't care about having that dockability and you want something that's a little lighter and more portable, maybe this is the way to go for you. So it's hard to recommend or not recommend this. And to me, this is all really a matter of personal preference. It's what are you going to be using your console for? And that's the beauty part about something like this is that what are you really using it for and how are you using it and where are you using it? And that can determine whether or not you're going to be doing this. Here's something that I thought was much more interesting than a lot of other people did, apparently. There was an announcement from the Star Wars show, which is on the Star Wars YouTube channel, StarWars.com as well, that a Sith trooper is going to be a part of of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Now, why is that a big deal? I mean, I know I've seen it on social media. It's just a red stormtrooper. Calm down. Okay, maybe in a certain sense, yeah, you're right. But Sith is a big part of this. I'm going to dig deeper into this than maybe I probably should. Because, by the way, there's going to be a ton of merchandising for this at San Diego Comic-Con. There's going to be the Black Series figures. There's going to be Funko Pops. Hot Toys has a really amazing statue that they've made for the Sith Trooper. It has a cool factor. It's a cool look. But the name Sith, you, you've, that's got to jump out at you. Because here's the deal. Kylo Ren has not been revealed as a Sith. Right? Am I right about that? So is this going to be... Are these troopers loyal to Kylo? Is this a Knights of Ren type of situation? Are they loyal to them? Although, could, you know, Emperor Palpatine is coming back for Rise of Skywalker. So, is this some secret army that Palpatine has had? Or is this, you know, a section of loyalists that have been loyal to Palpatine? And is Palpatine going to be with or against Kylo Ren? Because that's not a slam dunk either. Just because he's a Sith Lord, you don't think he's just going to roll up and say, my apprentice to Kylo Ren. That's not necessarily going to happen, okay? Just because everybody's evil doesn't mean they're going to be working together. You don't, you think that, first of all, you think Kylo's going to let another Lord just kind of rise up and be like, yeah, sure, I'll listen to this guy, even though I didn't listen to Supreme Leader Snoke and ended up killing him at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and listen to Emperor Palpatine now. Not necessarily going to happen, especially with Rey's influence on Kylo too, by the way. This is not necessarily a slam dunk here. So I think that this whole Sith Trooper thing means a little bit more than just a red stormtrooper on the surface. There's something that's not being told to us here, and I could be reading way too much into this. Could just be a different color. I mean, Captain Phasma was silver. So what do you do with that? There was really not much difference other than she was like a captain she was a leader, and that's why her suit was different. Okay? I get that. So maybe this is just something that's that simple. There were different suits in Rogue One, too, and there wasn't a whole lot different about that. So maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I, I tend to think that I'm reading too much into this for a pretty damn good reason. So only time will tell when we see The Rise of Skywalker in December. A couple of comic book items that I wanted to talk about before we move on to my interview with Carlos Giafani from Dark Horse Comics Strayed. The first of which is something I'm super excited about, and that's Jeff Lemire 
joining DC's Black Label. I love when Jeff Lemire writes for DC. He just gets so much out of his main characters. He really has a way of drawing out these new and complex emotions from these characters, which I wrote on downandnerdypodcast.com in the article where this was announced. Now, this was originally reported by io9 that Lemire will write two titles for DC's Black Label. The first first is going to be Joker Killer Smile, which is a Joker title, and there will be a little bit of an encounter with a mental health professional that is not Harleen Quinzel. By the way, that is made very clear, and we're going to see art, by the way, for that by Andrea Sorrentino. So this looks like, I mean, if you've seen the cover, it seems like it's going to be a really cool book. And Jeff Lemire tackling the Joker. Are you kidding me? This is going to be amazing. I I just have no doubt about this. And then for fans of The Question, yeah, we're finally going to get a book for The Question as well. The Deaths of Vic Sage is going to be the the subtitle, by the way, of that one. Art's going to be by Dennis Cowan and Bill Sinkowitz. So... We don't know a whole lot about these books other than the, the we also have the title for for the question. That's going to be dealing with, you know, certain things about the question where there, there's been several deaths involved. So this is kind of a not a time travel situation, but we're going to see a lot of time periods discussed and seen in this book. It's really a mystery about life and death is the best way that I can kind of put it. And, and you want to go to our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. There's an interview with Lemire from io9 that you can get to as well that explains a little bit more. We will see these books in the fall, but we don't know an exact date just yet. Maybe we'll find out more at San Diego Comic-Con. I'll keep you updated on that. I'm so super excited about Lemire and Black Label. It is it, they, This is someplace where the, the, the cuffs are off, right? There are certain... Books where you have to write them a certain way based on the rating of who you're who you're targeting, right? And Lemire is gonna be working gonna work so well in this space. Have you read Gideon Falls? His new one of his newest books for Image Comics. It is mind-blowingly good. And it is a another a, another cuffs off type of story, as is Black Hammer. That series that is blown up at Dark Horse Comics as well. These are examples of seeing that the, if you want to let Jeff Lemire do something a little bit darker, he's going to be able to not only handle it, but knock it out of the park. I cannot wait to see what Jeff Lemire can do, especially with the Joker. I'm so excited for that. Speaking of Dark Horse, really quickly, just before San Diego Comic-Con, they made the announcement that The Mask is going to be coming back for a brand new four-issue series called Mask. I pledge allegiance to the Mask. It's going to be written by Christopher Cantwell, of course, if she could fly. Also, the art team of Patrick Reynolds from Joe Golem and the colors by Lee Lorridge on this book. And it's going to be out, by the way, on October the 16th. If you want the synopsis, basically, the, you know, the years ago, the weird mask of unknown origin and limitless power is buried in the cement of an apartment building in the basement floor. Now, Edge City and his residents have all but forgotten the mysterious green-faced killer known as only as Big Head. But now, decades later, the bizarre Tex Avery-style killings are happening all over again and are on a collision course with a bizarre political campaign where a homicidal, homicidal maniac wants to, quote, make America green again. Now, if anybody's only familiar with the Mask movie, not the Mask comics, you're in for a pretty big surprise. This is about to get... Really brutal. So I'm really excited to dive back in to the world of the mask. It seems like it's been forever since we've really got something new and true to the comics version of the mask. And I think it I'm just super psyched to have this back. And I think it's a really good time. We've had, you know, the movie reboot rumors kind of be kicked around recently and some other stuff. So I think it's going to be really neat to go explore this more and find out more about this, by the way, at San Diego Comic-Con. Again, speaking of Dark Horse, that'll do it for Nerd News. But up next, we're going to be talking about the Dark Horse book, Strayed, which is going to be out not too long from now. And Carlos Giuffani, the writer, going to be joining me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Peter Milligan. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As we get ready for San Diego Comic-Con 2019, there's another guy that's going to be there, as a matter of fact, with Dark Horse Comics. Got a new book out called Straight, and we're going to talk to him about it right now. It's writer Carlos Giffoni. Carlos, what's up? Hey, man. How you doing? 
Uh, psyched to be on the podcast. Man, I'm doing awesome. As a matter of fact, I mean, it seems like you've kind of, if for anybody who doesn't know your work, you've done a little bit of everything. I mean, you've been in music, you've been a video game producer, now you're writing comics. So what was it that drew you to comics specifically? Yeah, so it was one of those things where I was uh, really into comics as a kid. Um, and for a long time, I just kind of went in a different direction, uh, did music for a long time since I was 14 when I started uh, singing in a band and playing music later. Um, and it's just something, and I went into video games for like my day job, right? Um, and it was something that was always in the back of my mind. And then sometime in the mid two thousands, I just kind of rediscover what was going on with comics at the time with things, with things like, you know, why the last man and, Mm -hmm. uh, fear agent and stuff like that. And then I went back and, and just kind of a few years ago, I just decided to give it a try. I had some experience doing some uh, script, script writing. Um, so when I looked into how it worked for comics, it wasn't um, alien to me. I kind of understood how the formatting worked. And um, yeah, that was about two and a half years ago. And uh, here we are today with Straight coming up pretty soon. Speaking of Stray, there's a very special cat named Lou in this book. And for anyone who is kind of <laughs> unfamiliar with the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So Stray is the story of an astral traveling cat named Lou, um, whose owner, whose name is Kiara, um, kind of made up this device that read his uh, brain waves, and uh, it's able to translate them into speech. So they communicate with each other, and he happens to have this power. Um, she's part of uh, the military, and this is, you know, a sci-fi story. This is in the future, and the military starts using them to scout for new planets uh, that they can, you know, basically colonize. And they don't know that's going on, and that's kind of how the story starts. Now, Carlos, world building's really hard enough, but in exploring all of these <laughs> different planets, you kind of have to create several. So, how do you go about making all of these worlds new and unique from things that we've kind of already seen, not just on the page but on the screen as well? Yeah, definitely. I think it it took a long process of me just brainstorming different ideas of what the worlds could be, right? Um, And in a lot of the book, you're seeing um, kind of windows into some of these uh, worlds. So I'm a person that thinks very visually, Um, you know, besides uh, working in music for a while, I I do creative direction for video games. And um, I'm, you know, I'm an art lover. So I always think about it that way. So I was, I kept thinking about just scenes, right? Like what would be a really cool thing to see in one of these windows into other worlds. And then later on, when it came time to like, okay, let's actually show a little bit more of those worlds, I already had those images that I could build from, if that makes sense. So it kind of, uh, the image of what the world would look like came first, and then, I, you know, the world building came around it. And even though, you know, there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, traveling through the universe and stuff like that in this book, um, it's still a few characters that the stories focus on. So even though they're visiting other worlds, um, the main cast of the book, it's, it's small enough that I could handle it pretty well. <laughs> hey, I think so, too, because I can actually get a chance to see the first issue. And I'm not going to spoil anything or anything like that. I certainly know that you don't want to either. But we do get to see Lou do his thing. We get to see the astral travel a little bit there. So we also get to see him making... A lot of decisions, though. How smart is he really? <laughs> I think um, he is as smart as an average human being, let's say. Um, I, I, I wanted to make him, uh, even though it's a cat, someone that anyone could relate to, right? Um, so I didn't want to... There's, there's been other depictions of uh, animals before where like their intellect kind of becomes a barrier to... Um, um, kind of relating to them other than at the pet level. And I wanted people to feel like he was an individual and kind of, uh, you know, feel for, for him and, and for what his thoughts were. Um, so I wanted to give him a unique personality and a unique point of view into the world. Talking to Carlos Giafoni, who, of course, is the writer of Strayed from Dark Horse Comics. You can get your hands on that, by the way, on August the 14th. Now, Carlos, we, you mentioned the device that Kiara created to commu- communicate with Lou. Now, you have two cats yourself. If you, if anybody follows you on social social media, they know that. So would yeah. you actually want to communicate with them if you could, or would that be too dangerous, too dangerous of a technology <laughs> to have? 
I mean, you know, uh, who knows what cats are thinking, right? Like, right. They, they have their own plans for world domination, probably. Who knows? Uh, but they're, they're also um, animals that, I don't know, when I, when I look at them, I feel like there's a lot more going on that, that we can see initially. Um, so I like to keep the mystery. I think that makes them very interesting and that keeps their, uh, their behavior uh, unique. And uh, it's what makes a cat a cat. But that's kind of like what, what um, triggered this idea. You know, I was... Uh, I was reading about um, these experiments that actually the U.S. Uh, uh, part of the U.S. government was doing um, during the 70s and, and 80s, uh, where they were trying to create this like psychic spice, uh, basically uh, using a process called remote viewing, which is basically astral traveling to spy on people. Of course, none of that of stuff course, work. Yeah. So 15, 15 years later, like the CIA canceled the program. There's like documentation that's open online um, that, that people can read. And I was reading about that. And then I was uh, here at home and I looked at, at one of my cats. I looked at Lou and he was just like staring into space, basically. And uh, the, the two things kind of connected to me. And that's where the initial um, uh, kind of seed for the story came from. Man, this this always the '70s, isn't it, Carlos? Anytime you hear about something like this, isn't it always the '70s? It seems like. Uh, yeah, definitely the '70s were very interesting. You know, um, I think people did a lot of drugs in the '60s, and the '70s uh, kind of were yeah, had uh, some aftermath from that. That's happened. probably true. They hadn't quite come down from it yet. So, like, let's just do a bunch of crazy stuff and see if anybody's paying attention. Basically. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, getting back to the book a little bit, it seems like the work that Kiara and Lou are doing is leading to some very unexpected results. Let's just put it that way. So do you think, without spoiling anything, do you think that she's kind of, Kiara's regretting what they've gotten themselves into? Um, I think once she, she figured, at the beginning, she doesn't know, right, what they're doing. They're just like... She's into the idea of exploring for new planets uh, because uh, humanity is in a situation where the resources are not enough to keep them going, right, to keep the growth that they're going at. Um, so I think she's on board with that. But once she realizes that they're actually, um, you know, doing uh, some sort of damage to other to other um, alien individuals, to other species, I think she definitely starts to regret it. And then she has to... Um, you know, kind of deal with a situation where, like, does she tell Lou what's going on? Um, that might put him at harm. Who knows? Or, uh, you know, does she stop what's try to stop what's going on in some way, which might actually put humanity in harm? Right. Like, so it, it becomes a complicated situation for her, and that's definitely something that we'll explore um, in, in issue one and in the following issues as well. Now, Carlos, being a fan of comics yourself, you know that when you're doing a story like this. The mm -hmm. art and the colors can really make or break you. So how lucky do you feel having someone like Wando working with you on this? Oh, man, uh, he makes a book, right? Like uh, <laughs> comics is a visual medium without art that looks good um, and that fits with the story. Um, it's not possible, I think, to bring a really good comic book to life. And um, I got really lucky. Juan was actually one of the people that I was using as references when looking for other artists. Uh, you know, I had friends that I was like, hey, I kind of want something like this. Um, and I started working with an artist. It didn't pan out. And then, um, you know, I was frustrated and I emailed uh, Juan uh, um, out of the blue, right? Like no introduction, nothing. And I was mm -hmm. like, hey, I love what you do. I've been a fan. Um, I have this idea for a book. Uh, I wonder if you'd be interested in working on it. And I just happened to catch him. Um, right when um, it, another project had ended and his exclusive uh, exclusive deal that he had had ended. And uh, he liked the story. Um, he, I guess he liked that. I, you know, he understood that I, even though I was, I was new to comic books, I had been working on uh, video games and music for a while. He, I used to live in New York for a long time. I live in LA now. He's also from New York. Um, so, you know, he he gave me the chance. We talked on the phone for like two hours about the story, and he was really into it. He loves cats, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was uh, super happy to, ha to get him. And then uh, Matt Crotzer, who's the letterer, um, he lettered uh, a book that's called Redcon. And I could tell that he had a really good knack for, like, doing sci-fi stuff for the lettering. Mm -hmm. Um, and I brought him into the book as well. So I felt like I had the, the perfect team from the start. So super lucky for sure. Speaking of being, being a visual medium, though, you do have a music background. So will we be getting some sort of a soundtrack to straight or maybe some music associated with the book? 
Absolutely. So with every issue uh, in my SoundCloud, um, I'll be releasing 20 minutes of music that uh, you can listen along to while you're reading or, or at some other time. But yeah, it's all inspired and uh, by, the, by each issue and, and original um, uh, that I compose for it. So what you do is you you put when you're listening to this show on SoundCloud you're listening to the Carlos talk right now you just, you just put his music in there on a playlist and then the second he's done talking boom you're right into straight <laughs> sweet that's the way I look at it I mean it just it just yeah. uh, it just makes sense to me yeah so, it's in my Bandcamp uh, sorry I think it's said um, but yeah it's in my Bandcamp either way make a playlist. We've, yes. we've got you covered. You know, down, download the show. Listen, there, there are ways to do this, Carlos. We, we can work around it. Bandcamp, no Absolutely. problem at all. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, uh, you obviously you're going to be at San Diego Comic-Con talking a lot yep. about Strayed with Dark Horse. Why don't you tell everybody what your plans are? Where can they find out more about Strayed at San Diego Comic-Con? Yeah, so at San Diego Comic-Con on uh, Thursday, uh, I, think, I believe that's the 18, at 11 in the morning, I'm going to be in a panel. Uh, that's called Peeling Back the Layers, the Process uh, of Making Comics, I believe. And uh, there's a, a few other people in there. Um, and uh, and that's from 11 to 12. And I think that's at Room 23 ABC. Uh, and then right after that, at 12.15 to 1, I'm going to be signing at the Dark Horse booth. So on Thursday, July 18. Um, and that's, uh, the booth is 2615 and I'll be, ha I'll have some exclusives to give away for people that come to the signing and I'm happy to chat with anyone about the book and, uh, and show them some of it. If they come by. So does that also mean fans can get their hands on the book early at the con? I believe that's not the case. I have that confirmation, but I don't think uh, we'll have an early version of it uh, because of the timing. Mm -hmm. But I will have uh, a version, uh, an Ashken that I made uh, earlier that I'd be able to show people. And uh, we'll have some uh, some posters and I have pins and, and uh, keychains and stuff like that that I'll be exclusively giving away at that signing. Just look at the cover, guys. You're going to want this poster. You're going to want these pins. Trust me. And by the way, after the con, make sure you get strayed from Dark Horse Comics. It's August the 14th at your local comic book shops and your favorite online retailers. It's writer Carlos Gifoni. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thanks, man. Awesome. Whether you're a cat lover or not, there really is so much to love about strayed and actually when you're when you're reading the book, you'll say, you know, this this is something you could definitely see a cat being capable of right and and it's a neat story and the art and the colors just really make this thing a beautiful book to read so make sure you're getting strayed at number one august the 14th from dark horse comics and a matter of fact make sure you're going to see carlos at san diego comic-con this year you heard him give you the info we'll also post it up on our website at down and That'll do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Carlos Giafoni for joining, joining me this week. And follow our coverage of San Diego Comic-Con all over our social media pages. At Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. Get everything, as a matter of fact, on our website as well, downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds, and we'll see you at the con.